verse 1, through chapter 6, verse 8. And this is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived 905 years and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. And after he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived 910 years and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. And after he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived 895 years and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after, the, after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years and then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands cursed by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived not 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived 777 years and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, 
he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with man forever for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his art were only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this, friends, is the word of God. It's good to be back with you. My family had a couple wonderful weeks of vacation. We went out to Jasper. We got to see these beautiful mountains. We went to a provincial park and spent some time together. There's always those wonderful moments that you remember, like my son who loves amusement park rides and thought, I wonder if I grab onto the garage door while it goes up, what will happen? Good news, springs break, and that's way more expensive than going to K-Days. The other thing we did is we thought, this provincial park is so beautiful. What if I jackknife my trailer so nobody can leave? And then I get a ride in a tow truck. So we had all sorts of good times on our uh, family vacation. It's a whole lot cheaper to be working than it was to take time off. So good to be back with all of you. The good news is, uh, I, I heard a story in this uh, father and son, an Amish father and son, had to go to a mall for the very first time. And they were amazed by all the sights and the sounds and the smells. They had never been to a mall before. But one of the things that amazed them more than anything else were these silver sliding doors. And they stood there wondering exactly how they worked when this older lady who was in a wheelchair rolled in. The silver sliding doors opened and then shut behind her. They waited for a couple of minutes. And up uh, two minutes later came a beautiful 25-year-old girl. The father said to his son, go get your mom. Sometimes things aren't always as they seem. Over the last month or so, we've been going through the book of Genesis, and we've talked about how God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. We've seen how sin entered the world and what that means and what that looks like and the impact it has thousands of years later for us today. Last week, we looked at Cain and Abel, and if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, you know, well, now we start the flood, but not quite the story of Cain and Abel happens in Genesis chapter 4. The flood happens in Genesis chapter 6. And right in the middle is Genesis chapter 5 and a genealogy. And if you're thinking, our lead pastor just got back from holidays and he's going to preach on a genealogy, yes! And it is going to be fascinating. And I'm going to pray with my eyes open so none of you are allowed to leave. And if you're watching online, that means you too. 
Let's ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the book of Genesis. And these opening 11 chapters can be just a minefield of what's taking place. As we hear about the, um, how old the earth is and what does that mean and do people actually know the answer? Did a talking snake really come? Or what happens when all of God's people are, start speaking different languages? In the middle of all of that is a genealogy. And Heavenly Father, while it might seem strange to spend 30 minutes talking about a few verses about who begat who, may our eyes be open to see that there is something beautiful taking place. So God, as I come off of holidays, I ask that you would help me to uh, speak well and to speak clearly so that your people might hear and understand the good news from Genesis chapter 5. And whatever comes out of this message today, that their lives would be impacted for your glory. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. If you uh, either weren't here last week or you need a reminder of what exactly happens in Genesis chapter 4, here's what takes place. God has created Adam and Eve. And he says to them, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And so Adam and Eve have two children. They have Cain and they have Abel. And God says to them, I want you to bring me a sacrifice. And so Cain brings a sacrifice and Abel brings the best fruit of his field. And so God looks at Abel and he says, Abel, I'm so proud of you for what you have done in this beautiful sacrifice. And he looks at Cain and he basically says, I think you could have done a little bit better. And so Cain gets jealous and he gets angry at his brother Abel and he goes out and he kills him. It's the first murder in all of scripture and it only took four chapters to get there. And then do you think, well, is that the end of the chapter? But it's not. Things continue to move on. And if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to follow along to see what's going to happen following this murder and, and the genealogy that takes place. We'll be in Genesis chapter 5, but we're also going to be in Genesis chapter 6 a little bit as well. But right after Cain kills his brother, that's not the end of the chapter. It, it continues. And this is what we read in Genesis chapter 4. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And we get this interesting thing that takes place because you go, okay, well, why does that matter? What's the importance of this? What's the impact that it has on us today? But here's what you need to know. Lamech is the embodiment of evil. This is a bad dude. To the best of our knowledge, he started polygamy. He thought, why would one wife be enough when I can have multiple wives? This man recognized that if he wanted something, he would just go and take it. And he recognized also that if somebody got in his way, I'll just murder him. My forefather did it. Why can't I? Verses 23 and 24 of chapter 4. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zilha, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I have to say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge, my grandfather's grandfather, is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel, and I can't even begin to fathom what that must feel like as a dad. But at the end of chapter 4, we read that God gives Adam and Eve another son. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. 
For the note takers in the room, you might be wondering, okay, well, what's an outline on a genealogy? We're going to start with this. The descendants of Adam. As we'll see shortly, this isn't just about this line of Adam through Seth, but we're also going to look at the parallels between Seth and Cain and what takes place. Chapter 5 begins with these words. If you enjoy following along word for word, I always preach from the ESV. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. If that verse sounds a little bit familiar to you, it has great similarities between um, what we have just read in 5 verse 1 and what we read a few weeks ago in chapter 1 verse 27. You can look at the screen and see the parallels that are taking place. But here is why I bring this up. Here's why it's so wildly important. In Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, no sin has entered the world yet. There is nothing wrong with humanity or the world at all. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. They are perfect. They are holy. They are sinless. When we arrive in chapter 5, that ship has long since sailed. Murder, hatred, envy, lust, covetousness, pride, and so much more has entered the world. And then what does God say? But humanity is made in my image, and I will bless them. Even after the fall, jumping ahead to Genesis chapter 9, we read the same idea again. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God has made man in his own image. We jump all the way ahead to the New Testament. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says in chapter 3, with our tongue, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Now I'm going to go into much, I went into much more detail in Genesis chapter 1 on this quote that I'm about to show you. But it says this, human beings are created to represent the creator in the world and to reflect the nature and character of the creator in the world. It's the reason the Apostle Paul can look at the church in Corinth and say, if you haven't met Jesus, if you haven't, if you don't know God, look at me. I am the image and the likeness of God. And if you want to know what it looks like to be a follower of God, look at what I do. Look at the way that I love you. Look at the way I care about you. Look at the grace and the patience that I show you. Look at how I work hard during the day and minister at night. Look at the patience that I show you when you're making mistakes. Look at how much I love you and show you grace when reality doesn't meet expectations. Look at how much I care about you. But then we also know there's the shadow side. Because most of us have skeletons in our closet. Most of us wouldn't want what's written on these pages of paper to be written about us. Because we've messed up. We've done things that we wouldn't want posted on the front page of the Edmonton Journal's website. We don't want people to know. Now imagine we don't just live for 75 years. Imagine we live for hundreds of years. Genesis 5 three and following. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Now Seth lived and he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth 
were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan, and Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel, and Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years, and had other sons and daughters, and they all, thus all the days of Kenan were 910, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he had fathered Jared 830 years and after, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Now, you might hear that and say, really, we're going to spend half an hour on this. Yes. What's the deal with these extraordinary ages? Now, you might be a little bit skeptical and say, Dave, I don't know if I believe humanity lived for that length of time. That's fine. When we launched um, the sermon series a month ago, we uh, had a little game and we had some fun. And we said, is the earth thousands of years old, millions of years old, or billions of years old? And we refused to answer the question. Now, here's why we refused to answer the question. Imagine you came in, Christian or skeptic alike, and you said to, um, mentally, I believe the earth is this amount of years old. And then I stand up and I share with you powerfully my own position, and it's radically different than yours. What would go through your mind? Pastor's an idiot. Pastor doesn't read the good science books that I read. You know what? Maybe I don't believe in this whole God thing at all because he believes something radically different than I do and I don't know how these relationships can jive. As a Christian, whether, whatever you believe the age of the world, you believe that God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. And if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're a seeker or you're a skeptic and you say, whoa, 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 I don't know if I believe that, that's okay. You might believe in a big bang. You might believe in some sort of primordial ooze that, that began. You might believe um, in intelligent design. I don't know what you believe, but the topic at hand, we come back to what started it all? What was behind all of that? And we can say there must have been something that said, in the beginning, God created. Back to the topic at hand. What, how, what can we agree on when it comes to these extraordinary ages? And I think one of the things we can all agree on is the earth quickly became populated. My grandpa had three kids and died before I was born. I was born in 81, grandpa died in 79 or 80, I can't remember. My dad has two siblings, and so my dad and his two siblings all have three kids. My dad, um, his three kids, he has six grandkids. And so slowly, the earth is getting more and more populated because of us, but at a very minute rate. Imagine if your grandparents, grandparents, grandparents were still alive. The world would be overflowing with people, a world where there's not just 100 people at a family reunion, but where there's thousands upon thousands of people gathered together. In fact, think about this just for a moment. Seth, the son of Adam, died only 14 years before Noah was born. That's crazy. But this message isn't about how long people lived. The heart of the message is, did they walk with God? 
What was their relationship with God like? So I'm gonna show you something. On the left side of the screen, we have the line of uh, Adam through Cain. And so we have Adam, Cain, Enoch, Irad, Mahujael, Methushael, and Lamech. And I'm gonna ask you three questions, and here they are. What do we know about Cain? Well, one of the things we know, he killed his brother. What do we know about Lamech? Well, Dave, you told us just a little bit ago that Lamech is the embodiment of evil. And if you count there on the screen, third question, what generation is Lamech? He's the seventh. In the scriptures, the number seven points to completion or perfection. The world was created in seven days. It's holy. It's perfect. It's complete. And Lamech here has taken the sin of Adam, the sin of Cain, and he has turned it into the embodiment of evil, where he murdered someone just because they looked at him the wrong way and caused a little bit of friction. He is the man who took on um, more than one wife for the first time that we know of in Scripture. He is the embodiment, the completeness of evil. Now watch this on the right side of the screen. We have the other descendants of Adam, this time through the line of Seth. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, and Enoch. So let's talk about those same three questions. What do we know about Seth? The beginning of chapter five says he was made in the image and the likeness of God. Second question, what do we know about Enoch? Maybe you know a little bit, Russ read it at the beginning of this uh, service, verses 21 through 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Only two people in, in all of Scripture, pardon me, were taken to God instead of dying. Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2 and Enoch. Third question, what generation is Enoch? Matched up side by side with the line of Cain, we see that Enoch is the seventh generation. So where Lamech is the embodiment of evil, where Lamech is just a horrible, horrific man, we have Enoch, who through the line of Seth is on one of only two people who is taken up into heaven. Let me take that one step further with your Bibles in front of you. How old is Enoch? It's 365 years old. That number mean anything to you? One year for every day of the year. A completion of the whole, the adding up of a number of completeness until it has been reached. Where Adam's line through Cain stops at the seventh generation, Adam's line through Seth actually continues, and it's not just Enoch that's special. The following three people are also immensely special. Enoch's son, Methuselah, lives to be 969 years old, the oldest man recorded in Scripture. Methuselah's son, Lamech, not the same Lamech that we just talked about, lives to be 777 years old, and if you've been to a casino, jackpot! Three sevens is fantastic. And then we reach the 10th generation, and we know something special is about to happen, and we're introduced to Noah. And you think to yourself, something big is about to happen. And God's an incredible storyteller, and he says, wait, part two. 
the wickedness of humanity. This is Genesis 6. We'll read up to and including verse 5. When men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took them as their wives, any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, but for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. All right, show of hands. First time you've read this, or if you've read this before, you've wondered who on earth are the Nephilim? I told you this would be interesting. I got, I got a couple honest people. Thank you for that. I remember 30 years ago, I'm in junior high, and my mom, who is always encouraging me to read more, says, Dave, here is the Lord of the Rings. And I devoured Tolkien's trilogy, thinking it was amazing. 30 years later, I still have fantasy novels by my nightstand occasionally. So I'm thinking, well, what does this mean? Now, I'm not going to get into the age of the earth because that'll get me into really hot water, but can we understand that for the next five minutes, I can just share with you some of the thoughts here and you can go, okay, this is interesting. Here's what we know so far. We're introduced to two of Adam's descendants. We're introduced to Cain's line, which is inherently wicked, and Seth's line, um, where his uh, sustainable growth and is doing beautiful things. We know wickedness is present in this world. We can see, what are we at, day 575, day 580 of the war between Russia and Ukraine. We know that wickedness exists. They will eventually do documentaries on what's happening in North Korea, and it is the things of nightmares. It is horrific. There is never peace in the Middle East. Remember, we're in Genesis chapter 5 and 6. God's law has not been given. There is anarchy, and even if you're trying to live a good life, there's only so many times your neighbor can steal your cow and you don't fight back. So the big question, who are the sons of God? Are they fallen angels? Or are they regular humanity like me and you? may help if I paraphrase it this way. If fallen angels defy imagination, sons of man defy linguistics. So let's just put it on the table. As followers of Jesus, we must believe in miracles. That is part of our faith. We believe that the second person of the Trinity, God himself, took on flesh. He did not leave his divinity behind, but when he walked on this earth, and now as he stands at the right, sits at the right hand of God, he is fully human and fully God at the very same time. We believed he lived a holy and perfect life, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified dead and, um, and rose from the grave. We believe that one day he is coming back. But then we go, but fallen angels? Really? They're probably just humanity. And so there's, there's um, different thoughts onto what that looks like. So if you're taking notes, here's some of the thoughts. Um, if they are fallen humanity, it is this. They could be ancient kings because they often call themselves gods. And so if you've watched movies in the past, specifically movies that talk about Babylon or Persia or the ancient Near East, it's not unusual for the kings to say, I am a god. And if you think to the, yourself, do they actually believe that? Yes. They have human parents, but they think that they are the divine sent from heaven. 
And so that they might, um, this might be who they are. A second option is they're tyrannical leaders, maybe they're demon-possessed. And so you have somebody like Lamech who is a terrible, awful human being who just kills because he wants to, who just takes more wives because he wants to, who just covets his neighbor's goods because he wants them. And is there maybe some sort of demonic possessions that is going on there? Perhaps. One uh, person who I deeply respect says it's the mixing of the lines of Seth and Cain. And so you have this incredible line of Seth and they're doing the best that they can and then you have this horrific line of Cain and they're just doing whatever they want and they start mixing together. But all of this defies linguistics. All of this doesn't quite make sense. Who are these fallen angels? What does it mean and what does it look like? If you have your Bibles in front of you, you can check out 6 verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Why would the author write about earthly kings coming to regular women? Of course they did. How else would they have descendants? Why would there be special mention of men choosing wives? That's what we expect from them. Even if that theory is true of Cain's line mixing with Seth's line is correct, why would that create men of renown? Taking the linguistic approach one step further, to the best of my knowledge, every time we read the phrase sons of God in scripture, it's always referring to angels. The Septuagint, which is the Greek, uh, I'll say it differently. The Old Testament is written mostly in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. When the um, Greek world uh, started to grow and um, took on Christianity, the Greeks took the Hebrew Old Testament and um, read it, wrote it in Greek. It's called the Septuagint. This verse is translated, angels of God. In the New Testament, we see this as well in chapter 2, verses um, 2 Peter chapter 2. If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah and seven others, moving to Jude, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. If mom is human and dad's an angel, it's probably going to be people of renown. Anyway, whatever the theory, fun to think about, right? So what's the point? Why is this here? The wickedness in the world was so rampant that people's hearts were filled with evil intentions. Check this out. The fall in Genesis chapter 3, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, and the passage here. In chapter 3, verse 6, when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it. In 6, verse 2, the sons of God saw the daughters of men were attractive, they were good, and they took as their wives any they chose. If you're like me and you enjoy biblical parallels, it happens one more time. In 2 Samuel chapter uh, 11, King David, Israel's greatest king, is walking along the palace walls, and what does he do? He sees Bathsheba. He recognizes she's good looking and takes her. All this leads to the third part this morning, the response of God. 
This is chapter six, verses five to eight. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's go back to those parallels for just a moment. Eve and the sons of God saw, they saw that it was good, and they took it. God saw, he was grieved, and he blotted out. Our passage today only goes up to verse 8, so you don't really get to see what happens between 6.5 and 6.13. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. But in a span of nine verses, we read the word earth nine times. For those of you familiar with the book of Genesis, it's not like this is Sodom and Gomorrah and they're terrible. This is the whole earth. Imagine again a world where there is no law, where humanity just governs themselves. It wouldn't look anything like society that we have today. There would be mafia. There would be dictators. They would run the show and would likely do so with an iron fist. About 10 years ago, a movie came out called The Purge. And at first, this movie looks like it's set in present day. It's in present day America. Things are good. There's, um, there's very little crime. Everything is happy. But one day a year, for a 12-hour period, there is a purge where nothing is illegal, including murder. And you could imagine that for that 12 hours, you would do anything you could to defend your family and do what is right. You might try to be good, but at some point, the evil around you just has to be dealt with. So God is looking at his beautiful creation, his creation that he calls good, and he sees wickedness, destruction, and the evil intent of humanity. Now take a look at verse six and how God responds. God was angry at humanity for ruining his creation and he couldn't wait to destroy them. It's not what it says. Verse six says this. The Lord regretted that he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Other translations interpret the word regret was that he was saddened or my personal favorite. The Lord sighed deeply. Listen to this. God regularly displays regret and sorrow in the face of sin. It breaks God's heart when his people do not listen to him. When God sends Persia and Babylon to take over Judah and Israel, it doesn't happen in the blink of an eye. It happens over hundreds of years of God sending prophets to saying, repent, come back to me. And they don't, and so he has to send them into exile. When Jesus Christ arrives at Jerusalem at the end of his three years of ministry, he stands on a hill outside of Jerusalem, and you know what he does? He weeps. The shortest verse in all of scripture, uh, John eleven thirty five. Jesus' good friend Lazarus has died. And that verse is two words long and it says, Jesus wept. Commentators um, have wonderful discussion as to why was he weeping? Was it the loss of his friend? Or was it more than that? That sin has come into this world and because sin is in this world, that it has to be dealt with. 
the rest of John chapter 11. Um, and unfortunately, our English translations don't grasp it as well as what it's saying in the original language. And it says that um, in the original language, he was shaking with anger until Jesus, staring at this now open tomb, says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus raises from the dead. Sin has to be dealt with. A holy and perfect God cannot stand and watch sin take over creation. If you take a look at verse 7, that um, he saw that it was what had taken place. He grieved and he blotted it out. The word blot out, interesting enough, means to wash away with water. Going back to King David, perhaps one of the most well-known psalms um, is Psalm 51, verse 2. And after David had slept with Bathsheba, after David had killed Bathsheba's husband in hopes of covering up his crimes, he writes, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. The flood is washing away the sins of the world. God is washing away his creative work by submerging it into the water. If you uh, missed a few weeks ago when we started this sermon series, um, I showed you this slide. Days one to three in um, God's creation from Genesis chapter one are separating. Days four to six are decorating. And if you watch closely, you see what's taking place with the flood. Day six, wiped out. Day five, half of it wiped out. The sea creatures are still alive. Day three, wiped out. And so all that's remaining is the waters and the heavens. Sharing with you how Noah and the flood story points to Jesus would not be terribly difficult. So I'm going to save that for the next couple of weeks. I am going to show you something here that when I first discovered it, blew my mind. And I want to invite the prayer team to come forward and the band to come forward as well. Um, a little uh, over a month ago on Father's Day, we were sitting around um, the kitchen table, and I said to my three kids, they're nine, seven, and five, and to my wife, what are some things that I say regularly? And my five-year-old, super cute, says, Daddy, you always say, I love you. My wife and my nine-year-old, not nearly as cute, they started making fun of me. They said, in every sermon you go, this is amazing. And I stopped and I thought about it, and you know what? This is amazing. Let me show you something. If you have come here over the last couple of months, you've seen a child dedication. And normally during child dedications, we talk about what the naming of the child means. And so you have here the line of Cain. You have Adam means man, Cain means possessed, Enoch means teaching, Irad I can only say once without getting in trouble. And you see what starts to happen. It forms a sentence. Man possessed teaching, a wild ass who proclaims God and demands his death to the despairing. But then something else happens. The names of this line of Adam through Seth also have meanings. You still have Enoch, which is teaching, and you still have um, Adam, which means man, and you still have Lamech, which means despairing. But you put all of these ten generations together and something beautiful takes place. Man is appointed mortal, acquires the shining one of God, shall come down teaching his death, shall bring rest to the despairing. Incredible. That even the genealogy from Genesis chapter 5 says something 
better is coming. Two main themes in this passage. Will we walk with God and will we look and see? Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about keeping our eyes open. Will we look and see what God is doing all around us? When you're at work, will you look and see who needs a friend? Who needs to be invited over for a barbecue? Who needs to go on walk during their lunch hour? Who needs to just have an opportunity to talk and be listened to? When you're at home and maybe you're on vacation, are you looking and seeing what's going around your community? That in your condo building, are you looking and seeing about that single parent who just desperately needs somebody to care for their kids for a period of time? Are you at a campground like I was and you just keep walking by the same family and you're talking to them and maybe it's time to have some hot chocolate together and s'mores around the fire? Are you looking and seeing what's happening in our foyer? That people might be standing by themselves, that people are wondering, the sign says welcome home, does it actually mean it? And will we be a people that so deeply walk with God that we show the love of God to everyone we meet and say, coming to see who Jesus is, coming to see the picture of what God is doing in these opening 11 chapters of Genesis is amazing. I believe it is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel even in genealogies and that you have come to bring us the despairing rest that we might know you, that we might follow you and that we might give ourselves to you. God, forgive us when we fall short. Forgive us for the skeletons that most, if not all of us, have in our closet. Help us to live lives of freedom, of openness, and of joy, that we might walk with you, that we might look and see what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and that we might always bring you glory, made in the image and the likeness of God. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.